Richard Fertig is the founder and chief investment officer of Stomp Capital, and in this episode shares the lesson that billionaire investor Steve Schwartzman shared with him when he was the first person recruited into Blackstone's alternative asset management group early in his career. You'll hear about what's going on in the world of investment today, thoughts on mitigating risk and identifying opportunities, stories of anticipating market trends and creating value in investments, as well as what might be ahead for the hospitality industry. This show is not investment advice, and in full disclosure, I'm an investor in Stomp Capital's fund, but I've learned so much from Richard over the years and think you'll find his observations insightful wherever you are in the hospitality ecosystem. This is Hospitality Daily, the show that helps you stay informed and inspired each day by the most interesting people in hospitality. My name is Josiah McKenzie, and my goal is to help you reconnect with why you work in this industry and get fired up to go out there, delight others, and reach your goals. Let's get started. Richard, thanks for taking some time to talk with us. Oh, it's my pleasure, and thanks for having me back. I really appreciate it. Look, I think as we close out on 2023 here, it's evident that we're still in a little bit of pain and there's still more to go, but the Federal Reserve seems to have paused, and that's sort of what the futures market and the forward markets are looking like is that nobody's anticipating any additional interest rate raises. And so from my perspective, we're not out of the woods, but we've kind of survived the worst part of it. And we've anticipated this at the portfolio level. Some of you may know, but I have a capital markets background. And so we anticipated this happening. We positioned the portfolio very conservatively. We only have $20 million worth of debt. We have $50 million worth of equity, and that's forward looking. And we've positioned for this. And now as we take a look at the opportunities going forward, we're in a very strategic position because we have a lot of strength and a lot of opportunities. And a lot of the people that are perhaps reacting to this are not as well positioned. And so we're anticipating that we're going to see some really wonderful opportunities, but we make our own opportunities is the other reality. It's interesting to hear that. And I do encourage people to go back and listen to some more of your story because you've spent a long time working in capital markets. You are very dialed into what's going on on a macro level. And so it's interesting to hear that we have to be aware of what, what is going on. But I'm very interested in this notion of how do you create your own opportunity and how do you decide where you can move forward? I'm curious as we head into a new year, into 2024, What's on your mind these days in terms of opportunities that you see on being able to move forward in, in this environment with everything we have going on? Yeah. So the first thing I would share is I, I was fortunate enough when I graduated Wharton, I was recruited by the Blackstone Group and I was the first person recruited into what's known as Blackstone Alternative Asset Management. At the time, it was $1.1 billion of the founders capital, Steve Schwartzman and Pete Peterson. And I'll never forget, Steve sat us down on day one. You know, here I am a newly minted MBA, day one of my employment. And he's like, here's $1.1 billion of ours. And here's the goal. We want equity-like returns, bond-like volatility, and under no circumstances, don't lose money. Now, for any of the listeners that are listening, like that's the holy grail. If you can do that, like you'll be a billionaire. So it's a tall order, but what that forces you to do is to think very differently than everyone else. And so consequently, what I've come to realize through a lot of discussions and conversations and acknowledging some of the gifts that I have is I just, I kind of live in the future, right? So I don't see things for the way that they are today. I kind of see things for what they could be or what they should be or what they might be. Whereas I find that a lot of people, very smart people, very successful people, either live in the present, like this is the rules and this is the reality and this is what it is. And then there's some people who I believe are uh, less fortunate 
that live in the past, right? Like, oh, the best was behind us and so on. I, I always say, and you've seen in my tweets and so on, like the best is yet to come. I literally believe that, right? Because like everything that I look at is underutilized, has a lot more potential. We can unlock this. We can discover that. We can recreate. We can build. So that's sort of the lens that I view. And that's the only way that you can do that tall order, which is equity-like returns, bond-like volatility, and never lose money. And so if I give you a couple of examples, maybe it'll help. Um, the largest position that we have and the biggest opportunity that we have is we're the second largest landowners on Hatteras Island. We own about 50 plus acres, primarily of waterfront land on Hatteras Island. Hatteras Island was only accessible via a bridge. It was built in 1963. It was guaranteed by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers for 30 years for safe passage until 1993. When I got out there in 2017, I had no interest in real estate, land, Hatteras Island. I just wanted to go learn how to kite. But what I quickly discovered was that the land had just dropped in value because the bridge became one of the least safe bridges in America. Moms wouldn't send their kids over the bridge for school. And so there's lots of reasons that people have to sell real estate, death, divorce, taxes, kids moved out of the area, whatever. But there's no reason that somebody has to buy land or homes on an island that you can't get to safely. And so consequently, Econ 101, more sellers than buyers. Prices just kept going down. And so for like 20 years, you could watch this free falling valuation. I came in with a differentiated lens and looked at it and said, wow, this is spectacular. We're the second largest landowner behind the U.S. government. 95% of the island is preserved in perpetuity as our nation's largest seashore. So finite resource scarcity. They're not making any more of it. And more importantly, I saw a second bridge being built because in the state of North Carolina, tourism and tax revenue is the primary source of tax dollars. So they built a brand new bridge over those 20 years. It cost about a billion and a half of capital commitments. It's built for 100 years. They test it seismically every quarter and infrared and all sorts of things to make sure that their annuity doesn't get shut off. And all I had to do was say, gee, they can't give this dirt away. And on the other side of the bridge, it's trading at five, six, seven times more. And relative to the Hamptons or any other seashore, it's dirt cheap. And so when you get that like underhanded softball pitch, that's when you get aggressive and you swing away. And we bought literally everything that we could. And consequently, we're now the second largest. And by the way, I'm not saying that I caused this, but I'm just saying if you look at the price data, we put in the low, like it stopped falling after we came in and started buying. We bought the low. And if you follow the data, it's just started to trend up and the bridge is now open and everything is you know, moving in the right direction. But here you have millions of people who are passing this same land and the same opportunity and didn't have the knowledge or the conviction or the forward looking foresight or the resources or whatever the right limitation was. They didn't have what they needed. I looked at it and in a matter of minutes was like, holy, this is incredible. Like we buy it all. Right. And I, I think that's what makes your work compelling to me, Richard. And that's why I've invested in your fund is this combination of the macro view, the opportunities that you see, but also you mentioned living in the future. I think to illustrate that it, this is not just you talking, I encourage people to go look up Edge Camp Sporting Club and some of the story behind that, because you mentioned going there because you're interested in, in outdoor adventure sports and, and kiting, but you build this property right? And then it generates incredible revenue. You know, it's, it's this incredible business, incredible hospitality story. But I think what is also interesting is I feel like now at the end of 2023, a lot more people are talking about outdoor 
adventure focused hospitality, but you were doing this years ago. And I think, so you connect all these threads and it, you're a very interesting person to talk to about what the future of hospitality and hospitality investment can look like, because I think it requires connecting all of this, right? It's not just having an idea or even just being a good investor. I think you need to combine all the threads here. And also, by the way, be able to read the tea leaves and adjust and so on. So many people followed me early on. I started a YouTube channel, I don't call it six, seven years ago. And it took me forever to get to a hundred. And then it took me forever to get to a thousand. And then I haven't made a video in 18 months, but we're at about 76,000 today. We're about to relaunch it. So everybody should go check out. It's called today, the short-term rental university channel. We're rebranding it and launching a video in the not so distant future, like in December, it'll be um, next gen hospitality by Richard Fertig. So the point is we got early to Airbnb and the investments and the opportunity. And I was teaching people how to do it properly and to diversify and don't put all your eggs in one basket and regulatory risk is the single largest risk. Like people get that today. Back then, everybody didn't really understand it. They were just buying whatever. But here's what's kind of interesting and to connect the dots that you just mentioned. So my original investment thesis was around short-term rentals being a larger play in hospitality and in lodging stays going forward. Obviously been very correct on that. But if you take a look at what we're investing in in Stomp Capital, we have very little in the way of traditional single family homes that are short term rental um, zoned. And that's because I believe that that zoning and that regulatory risk exists today. So in the places where we do have single family homes like the Outer Banks of North Carolina, we own it all. We wrote the HOA. We created the laws that say that it's short term rental friendly. And by the way, we will never vote against ourselves. So like that's grandfathered in in perpetuity. The vast majority of what it is that we're buying, and you have to take a look at our properties in Southampton, take a look at our property that we have under contract now in Crested Butte, Colorado. We have properties in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida, and in Palm Springs, California. They all have upscale zoning that's grandfathered in and has been operating forever. So boutique hotel, bed and breakfast zoning with light labor. So we're using a lot of the knowledge and belief that we have in sort of the do-it-yourself model but we're using it with grandfathered zoning so that our business can operate in perpetuity and we reduce or remove that regulatory risk. Now, what we're actually doing is combining the both of the luxury hospitality and the do-it-yourself Airbnb. So the legacy model, traditional hospitality, my personal belief, and I'm a world traveler, we travel frequently. I think there's a time and a place for it, but it's not every time or every place. And then Airbnb, I think is really wonderful. It offers tremendous opportunities, but it's incredibly inconsistent. And if all things go really well and you're like really happy with your location and your host and the house and the cleaning team and everything, then it's still like completely empty and doesn't have any resources and you can't add stuff on. And so where we believe the future is, is in the best of both worlds where we have a la carte amenities and we have services and programming. And if you want daily housekeeping, you dial it in and it's on your time as opposed to traditional hospitality where they knock on your door and they're like, hey, housekeeping. And you're like, can you come back in 10 minutes and turn down service? And you're like, hey, I'm not going, I'm going to dinner. So the point is, it's much more about the guest experience. It's using traditional regulated, allowable zoning to do a little bit more of the on your own with a la carte type amenities. And so that's changed since we launched the YouTube channel. And many people, I believe, would get married to a certain thing like, oh, what we do is Airbnb. And then just stick with that. 
in five short years, we've continued to navigate and leapfrog and jump ahead and see the future and continue to design towards that. I am very excited to see the relaunch of, of the YouTube channel. So I'll have a link to that. I encourage people to, to check that out when, when it relaunches. I wonder, Richard, if we could talk a little bit about the Crested Butte uh, project, because it seems like a lot of investors are sort of sitting on their hands right now, seeing what way the winds are, are blowing. I think, you know, from getting to know you and talking before we were recording, I think a big piece of how you operate is building relationships over time, right? And you sometimes those create an opportunity, sometimes they don't, but you're laying a groundwork that could produce opportunities. Tell us a little bit about this project, how it came to be, just to illustrate this. Yeah, look, I think at the end of the day, being a good steward and being a good person and creating relationships and having a positive outlook and being an optimist and you kind of create your own luck, right? So a lot of people will look at me and say, oh, he's quite lucky. And I don't want to minimize that at all. Luck is tremendously important, uh, being in the right place at the right time. But if you're standing still, you're not in the right place and it's never the right time. So you have to be moving and active and being a good person actually really rewards these relationships. And people, I find, believe in us and want to help us and show us opportunities and beyond just money, right? It's not transactional, it's relationships. And it's the same thing with our guests. We're not trying to have a transaction where they come in and we take their money and they leave and churn and then the next one. It's all about building these relationships. As it relates to the Crested Butte deal in 1991, so we're going back, you know, decades here, when I graduated college, I moved to Crested Butte, Colorado. I always wanted to be sort of like that ski bum, at least for a season. So I skied 100 years. It's a great mountain. It's a skier's mountain. It's extreme. They've held extreme skiing competitions there. So like if any of you are extreme skiers, this is the place to go. That and where I currently call home, which is Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Although I'm not there now. I'm in New York State, if you see in the background here. Anyway. I moved there in 1991. I waited tables at night. I skied 100 plus days. I fell in love with Crested Butte. We always wanted to return. And then in 2015, my ex-wife and I decided to buy a house there and use it occasionally and short-term rent it. So at the time that we got there, there was no limit or regulations on the short-term rentals. So we bought this house and we were having success short-term renting it. And again, it's the same, another example I diverge, but I think it's illustrative of the way that I view the world. We found a house that hadn't sold for years and the price seemed very high. And when you look on Zillow, the price per square foot was very high and it was evident why it didn't sell. That piqued my interest. So I wanted to go look at it and understand why is this price so much higher than everything else? And here's what I discovered. It had a fully built out basement, but it didn't have legal egress. So that wasn't considered legal square footage. So if you see it in person, you recognize the square footage, but when Zillow and MLS marks it, they can't count it. So the price is twice as high as in reality. So I immediately start thinking and contact an architect and every engineers and so on. And it turns out all we had to do was punch a hole through one of the bedrooms, put a fire escape, if you will, up, and then something to cover the snow so that it couldn't uh, get covered. And the whole thing cost about forty thousand dollars. But in doing that, I made about six or seven hundred thousand dollars of added value to that same house. And so we bought it and then ultimately made that profit by just seeing it slightly differently and then activating it by spending forty thousand dollars. Anyway, I got to Crested Butte in 2015. We bought this house. We were short term renting it. And I continue to love the, the, the location and Crested Butte and wanted to return. I thought about living there when I moved out of New York City ultimately picked Jackson Hole so I could have a totally fresh start. 
but I've always been going. My fiance and I have been there now four or five times in the last three or four years, and we're constantly looking for opportunities and couldn't find anything. It's so small. But then we had a really wonderful opportunity, a relationship that we had met years earlier, showed us a deal that had not gone to market. We were the first and only people to see it. And because we knew the market and what we wanted and what we were looking for and regulatory risk and our framework is really clearly defined, we pounced on it. And so we're now under contract and we'll be closing hopefully in 2023 or early 2024, but we'll have one third of all the legal keys in the town of Crested Butte, which is highly regulated. There'll never be more and so on and so forth. There is one little lot that may be developed at some point in the future that's zoned for it. We looked at it in 2020. And we actually passed on it because I didn't like the user experience. What they approved to build, I didn't think I would want to stay in. And so consequently, we passed. But we've been hanging around the hoop since 1991 and 2015 and coming back and building the relationships and waiting. And then when we saw the opportunity, we pounced. And I'm excited to see what you create there. It's all about playing the long game, right? And I think that's how... That's how you went in this business. I am curious as you're talking to investors out there about this project or in general, what you're hearing. I'm very curious on the sentiment questions or what you're hearing out there from people. You know, what I would share with you is I think it's very different than what most general partners or people raising capital are hearing. There's no doubt that it's harder and it takes longer and the tickets are smaller. And I don't want to suggest otherwise, but I do think that the average person is concerned about commercial real estate and multifamily and maybe industrial and self-storage and like the traditional sort of investments and maybe even hospitality to a degree. I think the average person right now is concerned or nervous or sitting on their hands or not investing and so on. That said, what we're doing seems to be really striking a chord with prospective investors and existing investors. And in most of our deals, about a third of the investors are reinvesting. And it's because I think it does a few things. One, I think it's logical. It makes sense. Like this missing hospitality, this next gen of hospitality resonates. This is the way that they would like to travel. So that's one. Two, um, we're going up market for affluent uh, people with disposable income, and we're striking a chord with their passions, which is their sports, their activities, what makes them like feel alive, what energizes them. So whether they're a skier, a surfer, a kiteboarder, golfer, um, we're we're focusing on areas that are limited in resources. There's really wonderful, like one of one locations. We're combining that with the zoning. And so intellectually, it strikes both from their like heart, what they want to invest in and what they want to be doing. And also intellectually from their brain, it's like, no, this makes a lot of sense. You're buying it cheap and you're rolling up your sleeves and you're doing the work and you know, you're building from the ground up or you're got renovating and you're activating it. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing I would share is when there's this much negativity in the world, to the extent that you find somebody who has a different lens and is optimistic and things are going well, and by the way, they're credible, like not, there's plenty of people who will lie and tell you, you know, yeah, this is great, but do your due diligence, do your work, right? Like I'm not saying just because somebody's optimistic that you should invest with them, but it's a compelling story. It hits the heart and the brain. And we have a long, you know, multi-decade career of investing professionally on behalf of some of the most intelligent, successful people on the planet, whether they be at Blackstone Group or our clients were pensions and endowments and foundations and universities. And so we've been looking for these differentiated views uh, for decades and done so successfully. And by the way, as much as I love hospitality and travel and these passion sports, and so like I'm building it for myself, let's just be really clear. Like I don't have a long lineage of 
hospitality. It's not like my family's been in this. And so this is what I was born to do. This is my personal passion. I've got $20 million in the fund alongside limited partners. This is where I'm expressing my views, where I think I'll get outsized returns. But for me, this is a combination of everything that I was trained to do professionally, like look for moats, look for reasons why it's protected, look for reasons why it's scarce, look for regulatory risk, take the other side. Everyone else is out there buying Airbnbs, look for boutique hotels. And by the way, this connects to what you said earlier, which is go watch my YouTube channel. I love the fact that it's time stamped. It's really easy for me to say like, oh, this is what I've been thinking. And this is why our portfolio is positioned so conservatively with only 27% debt and 73% equity. But just go to YouTube. There's a timestamp on it. Look at my predictions. Look at what I was sharing in real time, you know, years ago. See how many of them have proven true and correct. And we just anticipate that going forward, what it is that we're doing in this experiential hospitality with light labor and twice the profit margins will be worth far more in the future than it is today. Before we go, I want to let you know about a few more things. First, if you haven't done so already, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite app to stay inspired each day by actionable insights from the most interesting people in hospitality. Second, I've started sharing videos and photos from the stories on this show on Instagram and YouTube, so if you'd like to see those or watch along, I encourage you to follow Hospitality Daily there so we can stay in touch. Third, if you'd like to listen to more conversations like the one you just heard, visit this podcast website at podcast.hospitalitydaily.com. I've spent a lot of time building out this website because I want to make it really easy for you to listen to the topics and guests that you are interested in, whether that's culture and leadership or operations or technology or something else. Browse and search the entire library of more than 400 episodes for some of the top leaders and innovators in hospitality at podcast.hospitalitydaily.com. Dot com to get ideas for delighting the people around you and reaching your business and career goals. I produce this podcast each day and give it away for free because I want us all to learn and grow together. If you enjoyed today's episode, I just have one favor to ask. Please take a moment to text or email this episode to a friend or colleague who might appreciate it as well. They'll be grateful to hear from you and what we covered in the show can help them as I hope it helped you today. Thanks for listening and I'll see you here tomorrow. 